the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, episode number 129. Hello and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you're in the middle of studying for the MCAT, or maybe you're taking it next year, go to freemcatgift.com and download our full report and tips and tricks on the MCAT, stuff that you normally wouldn't think about. Again, that's freemcatgift.com. Today, we're going to do a question and answer show based on a lot of emails that we've gotten in, and it seems like the emails are picking up. And so we love the emails. If we haven't responded back to you in a timely manner, I apologize. There, We do get a lot of emails, and we try to answer all of them personally, and so we're going to answer some of them here on the show. And by we, I mean myself and the lovely co-host, Allison. Hello. The other Dr. Gray. Hello, everybody. Not related to Meredith. <laughs> right. You get that question, though, don't you? I do. I. It's interesting, though. In training, when I was a resident, I got that a lot more. Oh, do you watch Grey's Anatomy? And, oh, you are you old enough to be a doctor? But the Grey's Anatomy thing, I still get asked sometimes, but it's less so now. But yes, on one occasion, a patient, or maybe it was their family member, I think. I thought it was a staff member. I don't know. It was somebody in the hospital and they legit asked me, so are you related to Meredith? Like, uh, really? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? I'm related to Dr. House. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. That's not a compliment. Why? Because he's an ass. But he's brilliant. Oh, is that FCC approved? Yeah, now I have to bleep that. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Sorry, David and Mo. Hopefully that's okay for the high school crowd. (laughs) Anyway, Dr. House does not have my, um, I don't know, approval. Anyway. Anyway, that's an old episode. We talked about that eons ago now. Yes, we, we did talk about the myths of kind of TV medicine. Yes. Go check out that podcast if you're interested. All right. So I've gathered a bunch of questions here that students have asked. Some of them I've responded to. Most of them I have not as of yet. These are within the last two weeks or so that we've gotten these. So we're going to go one by one, and and we're going to try to answer them to the best of our ability. These are questions that we thought would resonate with a lot of people. So what I, the goal is to not just answer one question for one person, but answer one question for lots of people. So we put it here on the podcast. Help lots of people, right? Always a good thing. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. All right. So the first one, and we're not going to use names because I didn't ask if I could use any of these questions on the show. So I will remove any personal identifiers. But the first one, the subject intrigued me. And this one just came in a couple days ago. It says, is my med school dream over? Question mark. Now, just right off the bat, my answer is no. (laughs) Right? No, it's never over. And then I get into... Well, it might be over when you're dead, but yeah. Way to take it dark. (laughs) Anyway. That's true for all of us. <laughs> yes. So this person emailed in and said, I'm currently a first year student matriculating to my second year. So a rising sophomore, as they're called, right? Yep. All right. 
at a state university here in the States. I'm interested in career medicine. I wanted to be a doctor for as long as I can remember, although I'm not sure if that's possible anymore. During my first semester, I got a GPA of 3.12. Not terrible. Not outstanding, but not terrible. With a C plus in general chemistry. And this semester, I got a D plus in chemistry, rendering my GPA to be even lower. Do you think it's still possible for me to be admitted into medical school if I constantly receive very high marks throughout the rest of my college career and get a high score on the MCAT? Or will medical schools not even bother giving me an application, giving my application a look with these grades and GPA? So I absolutely think it's still possible to get in. And the question is just, what are you going to do now to sort of fix the situation? So lots of people who matriculate into medical school and become doctors have had a couple or maybe even a few bad grades, Ds, even fails, even Fs. The question is, when you go to apply, does the admissions committee see that you improved or do they see that you didn't? And also, what steps did you take to try to improve your GPA? So I wouldn't say necessarily. I mean, it depends. If you go and you just excel in all of your other classes and uh, show the admissions committee that you sort of picked yourself up by your bootstraps and improved your grades significantly, that might be enough. For some people, when you have a, a bunch of bad, you know, of, of not as great grades, some people end up doing master's work or a post-bac program. It really all depends. But I think in terms of the short term, the key right now is to try to step back and figure out why did those classes not go well? So how are you studying? Where are you studying? What are your studying methods? And you know, is it those classes in particular that is it the subject matter? Is it the type of sort of exam that, that you're struggling with? So taking a step back and really evaluating what is it that's you know, ending you up with those grades. So my question would be, they specifically mention a C plus in general chemistry and then a D plus in chemistry. They don't mention general chemistry. So my question would be, did you retake your intro chemistry, general chemistry, or did you actually take the next sequence? Right. Because if you got a C plus and then you took that next class in the sequence without understanding what was taught and what you were supposed to learn in that general chemistry, you set yourself up for failure in that case. Perhaps, but not to be too hard on that individual. I think sometimes you, I mean, it's very easy to get wrapped up into just the flow of college classes. And it's, you know, you do Gen Chem 1, Gen Chem 2, Physics 1, Physics 2, it's boom, 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 boom. And it can be really scary to step back and say, oh, something's very wrong. So we've all, all of us, me included, have had a class where something did not go well. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's sort of a a real underlying problem. It might mean that there are a set of circumstances for that particular class. So we don't know. We'd have to reach out and talk to that individual directly. But I wouldn't necessarily assume that even if it was that this person took Gen Chem 1 and then went on to Gen Chem 2, that they just sort of failed to realize it's, I mean, college is demanding, right? If you go to a, you know, a rigorous university. So, but that's the key is to just to now put the pause button on and, and say what happened here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I did respond to this person. I said that the question is why you got the poor grades to begin with. So, and to understand that these grades, you, you do have to put all of your grades on your application. 
and these grades for an osteopathic application for the Acomus application, you can replace a poor grade with an older grade with a newer grade. So not necessarily a better grade, but the newer grade will replace the older grade. And the AMCAS application, it'll be averaged. Yeah. And I think just to sort of add to what we're saying, if you don't stop now and you don't sort of get to the heart of what the problem is, these sort of less than great grades may add up and it becomes harder and harder to jump to what's the word I'm looking for to rebound from that. Yeah, it compounds. Um, yeah. Because again, if you see, if the, the admissions committee see one or two grades that are not, you know, that are poor, but then they see you really excel from that, you know, fine, no, no problem. As long as you can also clearly explain to them what happened. And you may get asked that very question on interviews. I know I had a C plus in a class in college and I was asked point blank about it. What happened there? A C plus. Yeah. Wow. You know that. You've seen my transcripts. You announced my transcript on... on well, no, it wasn't my transcript. Yes, it was actually. You announced my GPA. <laughs> anyway, I've been there. I mean, I don't know, Ryan. Have you, what's the lowest grade you got in college? Let's put you on this I think it was a C. Yeah. So... But you know what it, it was a C in? Was it like I'm music sure. appreciation? No, no. I dropped that class. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was some computer science class. Oh, that's right. It was like... so. Well, you know what, though? It's interesting because the class that I um, struggled with the most in medical school, not, you know, just did have the lowest mark and was physiology, which is my lowest major. Mark. We and call them grades that's in a the Canadian States. thing. Anyway, but it was physiology, which was my, my major. I, maybe it was you and I being lackadaisical when we shouldn't have. Who knows? But anyway, the point is yeah, intervene now. If you're not sure and you need some guidance, talk to your professors. Don't be shy. Go back to those people and say, look, I did not do well in this class. I need to know how I, you know, what went wrong here. I'm, you know, sit down with me if you would. I want to improve. I, I need to do better. All right. So that's the first one. Let's move on to the second one. The subject is Canadian undergrad. And they first say they love the podcast. Awesome. And so the question right is, I'm a freshman right now. I just started college in January, but I decided to transfer schools when I decided to go to medical school. I really want to go to Canada, but I don't know if going to an undergrad school outside the U.S. is going to affect me too much when I try to get into medical school in the U.S. So two questions. One, do you know if it's true that getting accepted into Canadian medical schools is extremely hard if you're an international student? And two, would it affect me at all if I did my undergrad in Canada and then applied to U.S. medical schools? This sounds very similar to some co-hosts that we have. <laughs> so things may have changed, but less, certainly when I was a student and for some time afterwards, so, at least. So explain real quick. So the question that she's asking is exactly what you did. Mm. A U.S. student going to a Canadian undergrad mm -hmm. and then going to a U.S. medical Although school. I'm unclear from the question, maybe I'm just slow tonight. Is she Canadian or is she American? She's or American. From the United States. Yeah, okay. she's from the U.S. and she's thinking about going to an undergrad in Canada. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. And wanting to come back to the U.S. for medical school. But her initial question about is it harder to get into Canadian medical if schools? If you're an international If student. you're international, not Canadian college, university, but, but medical Canadian school. Canadian medical yeah. school. Okay. So, yeah, so yeah, in your case, if you wanted to stay in Canada right. after going to McGill and wanted to go to medical school. Sure, yeah. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, I'll give you my very brief background so I'm originally from the United States. I went to college or university. 
at McGill in Montreal, which is a Canadian university in Quebec. I went to medical school, as uh, you may know, with Ryan at New York Medical College in Westchester County in New York. So I went to a Canadian undergrad and a, a United States medical school. I am you know, originally American or from the United States. So why did I do that? For a number of reasons. Great science program in a great city, a lot cheaper at the time. My upstairs neighbor had gone there growing up. I knew a lot about it. We always vacationed in Canada. There were lots of reasons. So anyway... When I thought about applying to medical school, I really didn't consider going and staying in Canada for a couple of reasons. Number one, I ultimately knew I always wanted to go back to the United States to practice. And it didn't make sense to me then to apply to Canadian medical school and then to ultimately try to go back to the United States. It just, it just didn't make sense. The other reason, to answer your first question, it is very difficult in most cases for international students, uh, United States citizens, other citizens from around the world internationally to get into Canadian medical schools. The reason for that is there are only about 17 Canadian medical schools. The last time I checked, that may have changed, but very few in number if you think about it compared to the over you know 130 roughly medical schools in the United States. So you're dealing with a few schools. In addition, the schools in Canada tend to be very provincially guided. So in other words, if you are a student from Quebec, you have a much higher likelihood of getting into a Quebecois medical school than you do getting into um, a medical school in, for example, Ontario or British Columbia or one of the other provinces. They're very... It's sort of like applying to California from Utah if you're not from there. California medical schools predominantly take California... The public uh, states. Correct. Yeah. So, the, you know, as, as I was saying... That's, that's one way to think about it. Yeah. It's that the Canadian it's schools state, are right. public schools and they want students from their own provinces. Yes. And part of that reason is because they want people to stay and practice and serve that province. So it's a matter of making sure that they have enough physicians for their own province to take care of their own citizens. So I had friends when I was at McGill, um, one of my best friends, who is uh, now an emergency physician in New York. And uh, she and I were both from the United States. We met there. And she wanted to apply to McGill. She thought about staying. She was dating a guy at the time from Canada and who she thought she was going to marry. And she didn't ultimately, but that's neither here nor there. And so she did apply to McGill and she didn't get in. And she was told at the time that her, you know, they had very few spots for international students and it was going to be really hard, but she really wanted to. So, and ultimately, you know, she didn't get in there. She went to school in New York and the rest is history. And she's very happy practicing where she is now. But I learned, you know, it's very hard for Canadian students to get into their own medical schools. It's even harder for people from the United States. So my feeling about it is just be informed. If you want to go to school in Canada, by all means, there are more and more Americans going to university in Canada all the time. I had a blast. I was a, an amazing, amazing time. Rigorous as all, you know. Get out. Yeah. What? Rigorous as all get out. I was going to say rigorous as all. I know, but you say get out. That's. Oh, okay. That's the. All right. Never mind. Well, anyway. Oof, over your over the head. <laughs> but it was great. So. That's my spiel about going to Canada for university or for college. Now, what about going... Your second question was going to university... Just repeat the second question. The question was, will it affect her chances of going to U.S. med school if she goes to a Canadian... So Canadian, right. So that's basically what I did. So, okay, that's yes and no. And the reason I would say yes and no is because the Canadian universities in college for college tend to undergrad tend to be, as I said, very rigorous. And so 
a lot of students will leave those schools with perhaps a lower GPA than they would have if they had gone elsewhere. It was hard to get an A at McGill. Like it was hard. I busted my butt and I have always been a really hard worker, but boy, I mean, I worked every, you know, almost every weekend in college, you know, many nights up late. I mean, you know, I think a lot of college students have been there and but I think if Ryan and I sit down and compare our experiences, we've talked yeah, about this before. Yeah. It was just different. He had the traditional sort of American college experience. He was going to parties and tailgating and going to UF games and having a blast and also studying. But I had a lot more of the latter. I was studying a lot. And with that said, it was still very rigorous and hard to earn A's. And so I think if I had known that ahead of time, would I have changed my decision about where I went to school? Maybe, maybe not. But I remember them talking about that at the time, advisors, that sometimes people leaving Canadian universities had a lower GPA than they might otherwise have had. And so I think that's just something to take into consideration. That all said, if you go to a Canadian university, if it's it, just like we say about a United States, I don't want to say American because sometimes, you know, technically North America, right? <laughs> it's both. <laughs> if you're from the United States and you go to a United States school, like we've talked about all the time, it's you know not just a matter of what's the name of that school. It's so much more than that. It's how did, how well did you do at that school? Is that school has the admissions committee at medical school, a different medical school, heard of that school so they can kind of put it into context? So there are all these things that factor in. I don't think that you're doing yourself any disservice by going to a Canadian university versus you know United States in that sense. It's just a question again of you know did you apply yourself? Did you how well did you do? Does that medical school in the United States, have they heard of the school? Can they kind of compare it to the other schools that they're receiving applications or applicants from? But I think if anything, and the last thing I'll say, I know I've... Ryan is probably falling asleep. <laughs> no, the last thing I would say... See, now I lost my train of thought, Ryan. Jeez. That's not my fault. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're staring off into space, you know, I, I can't help it. I'm just kidding. I'm reading. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. No, I'm really just... Uh, so... Yeah. You answered her question a little bit differently than maybe she wanted. Mm. Ultimately, the the question comes down to, will a U.S. medical school accept Canadian undergrad? Without a doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, so it is seen exactly as equal. There's no difference. And, you know, that's why. So you can take the MCAT. It's no different. The, the United States, you know, GPAs, Canadian GPAs, all of it. I mean, in terms of how they line up, how MCAT scores line up, how they, they view curriculums, it's all the same. So yeah. there's no difference. You are there. considered a U.S. citizen. Your undergrad, your transcripts will just be from a Canadian undergrad, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And I forgot the last thing I was going to say, but maybe it wasn't that important. Yeah. It'll come back to me. Probably not. <laughs> and yet he asks me to co-host with him. This is what I deal with, I don't gentlemen. ask. The listeners this ask. This is what I deal with. The listeners ask, and I oblige. <laughs> Isn't this nice? You know, yeah. invited yeah. on a podcast, and then the host doesn't really want you on. It's just that he says it's all for the next, next question. Ay, ay, ay. So we have another lady, female listener, asking, or saying, I've been struggling in parentheses, for about two years on which path I should take, nurse practitioning or MD? Any advice or insight on this pathway dilemma? Yes, I am hoping to begin my shadowing ASAP, but any advice would be most appreciated. So NP versus MD. What do you think, Ryan? So we did a show with PA and MD, 
and answered some of those questions. But I think ultimately the question comes down to what level of control, what level of oversight, independence, what level of autonomy do you want to have as a practicing provider? So we're all kind of providers. We a nurse practitioner, a PA an MD, a DO, we're all providers. It depends on what level of care you're providing at or what level of autonomy that you have. And so ultimately, that's the question. Obviously, there's other things here as well. So a nurse practitioner salary will almost certainly never be as high as an MD salary. There may be some weird exceptions if you're doing some funky academic medicine at some competitive teaching hospital and the salaries aren't very high for an MD. but or Dio. But I think for the most part, it's there is no right or wrong answer. It's whatever you are comfortable with in your situation. What does your life dictate your time commitment to be for school? What does your life dictate your time commitment going to be after school? What type of environment do you want to work in? There's going to be obviously different environments. If you want to be a surgeon, then an NP may not be the best for you. So there are lots of questions that you need to line up. And I think you answered your own question here by saying, I'm hoping to begin my shadowing ASAP. And that's ultimately the first step to start answering these questions for yourself is get in touch with an MD or DO and start learning what a day in the life is like for them. Get in touch with a, a nurse practitioner in whatever field you may be interested in and start shadowing that person as well. Yeah, get have uh, time set aside to spend with NPs, have time set aside to spend with physicians to really figure that out for yourself. What you what calls to you more? You've worked with NPs before. I have. Did you see any restrictions or any anything that was holding them back? Or did you, what was that interaction like? Yeah. So a couple of my best friends are actually NPs. And the last practice where I was, I worked with an NP all the time. She had her office was right next to mine. And uh, one of my very good friends, another mom is an NP. So uh, we share work stories and sort of uh, <laughs> highs and lows all the time. What I saw most in terms of the restrictions put on my friend who is an NP at the practice where I worked uh, in our neurology practice, I think so sometimes it was something as simple as like she couldn't prescribe something. For the most part, NPs can prescribe everything that MDs and DOs can. However, we were prescribing uh, steroid infusions for a patient at the infusion center at the nearby hospital for a flare-up of MS, I believe. And she was not able to do that. And That's weird. It, yeah, it was. And I don't... That could be a hospital thing, yeah. you know, hospital policy. In every state is different. So different states have different oversight that is required for nurse practitioners. Some states... NPs can really function almost sort of independently and or really quite independently, but then have some sort of supervision nearby or every week, you know, whatever it may be from MDs and DOs. Every state is different. So it's just something that you want to look into. The other thing, sometimes it would be frustrating for her is that patients would come in and say, oh, I don't want to see the NP. I want to see the physician. And that was something that she struggled with because she had just as big a caseload of patients most of the time that we did. And the patients weren't always given sort of advance notice that they might be seeing 
her as opposed to one of the physicians. And I think that left some patients feeling frustrated. Sometimes they were told and they still came in and then she just sort of got to hear about it. And that was frustrating for her. I mean, that may... I don't know that that'll ever change because I think traditionally, a lot of patients, a lot of people view an MD or a DO as being at the top of the food chain, sort of, you know, this is who I came to see. I'm going to the doctor. I want to see my physician. And when they're told, well, you're going to be seeing, you know, that term that a lot of people hate, that mid-level, mid-level. practitioner. Yeah. yeah. People don't feel like they're being served to the maximum. I just think it's a matter of informing people. And, and for the most part, I think it was just an annoyance and didn't really bother her. And the one last thing I would say, she did tell me from time to time that she I think the thing that bothered her the most is that she didn't feel her training was significant enough to deal with some of the problems that we saw. So she would have questions that would come up. And sometimes if I were really busy with a patient and, and another of our docs was really busy and we couldn't attend to her question, you know, kind of in a, a timely enough manner, she felt sort of unsure. Yeah. I've heard unsure that from TAs as well. Yeah. And I think that's... So that can be somewhat, you know, unnerving, I think. And that's the way she described it most. So, but again, that's just a practice thing too. If you have a practice setup in which you really have time set aside constantly to to review things, or or your, it, it could depend so very much. Yeah, you can learn on your own if you wanted to. But the training is different. Yeah. So, I if you think about it, I had four years of residency, three of which were neurology, and I had an enormous amount of inpatient work, also outpatient. NPs for the most part get two years or so, and so they don't necessarily have and the. It's not specialty specific, right? They have, in, they don't necessarily have the amount of internal medicine in the background, like initially, but then also the amount of specialty time that they have is just a lot. It's a lot less in terms of time uh, commitment than than you do if you you know go through a residency as a physician. So it's impossible to sort of have that that amount of knowledge base. I think. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say impossible, but I think it's it's a lot harder, and so. You know, I think that works for some people. It's a, so again, it's just a matter of what calls to you and what is the best fit for you. Yeah. All right. Good one. The next one is more of a statement, but I thought I'd bring it up. So it's really not a question, but more of a, a good kind of information to know. And it's actually written by a physician whose daughter is going to medical school. And it it says, I've enjoyed listening to your program, although I've been a physician since 1983, which is awesome. My daughter is now a junior at Emory, but last year applied to a little known program at SUNY Upstate, allowing her guaranteed admission to the class beginning after college graduation. The entire experience was wonderful for her and she was thrilled to be accepted, which allows her to enjoy her last years of college without the stress of applying elsewhere. Although the school takes mostly New York residents, she is from New Jersey and was accepted. I know there are other schools that have similar programs, but it seems few pre-meds or health advisors are aware. At Emory, they had no knowledge of this program or the Mount Sinai program. So I know we've talked about it a little bit, these early acceptance programs. University of Florida, where I went to undergrad, had one. It was called... What was it called? I can't remember it now. I just looked it up. Junior Honors Program at University of Florida. If you Google the medical school that you're interested in going to, so I'm going to Google right now as I'm talking, University of Florida, Early Acceptance Medical School. Go Google that. 
whatever school that you're looking at, early acceptance medical school. And the first link on here is Junior Honors Medical Program. And this was a program that was set up even when I was in school. It's an accelerated seven-year BSMD program only for the University of Florida. Admission to all candidates who are U.S. citizens or permanent residents. And so it's awesome. They take you apply after your sophomore year. That sounds very similar to this program that uh, this person is talking about. So there are a lot of schools that have these programs, but they're not very well advertised. So do some Googling, take a look at like your dream program maybe that you want to go to or a program that you think you would go to if you knew you could get in and not have to worry about anything. Go check out those programs and see if they have an early acceptance program. What do you think? I have nothing to add. I think that was excellent. That was more of a... um, what do you call those commercials? Promo? No, public... Uh, public service announcement? Yeah, it was more of a PSA. So, good. Awesome. All right, so next one. And this is one I think we could talk about this one for a while. High school student wanted to be a doctor ever since they were a kid, which is very common. I wanted to be a cardiologist, which is interesting says, my problem is that I, th- I think I'm not smart enough to be in med school because I only, I quote unquote, only have a below average IQ. And I'm also not fond of reading books. <laughs> Neither was I. I'm getting better though. I'm also not confident of myself. I'm in 10th grade already and my plans after graduation is to attend college and study nursing for preparation for medical school. Do you think it's okay to study nursing for my prep for med school? And do you think I would be able to attend med school with only having a below average IQ? So number one, I don't think you should put much emphasis or stock in IQ. I think if you want to pursue becoming a physician, then that's what you should pursue. The other thing is Ryan and I always talk about Ryan more than me, but don't have a backup plan. Because if you go in, you're not really sure you love reading books and you go in and start studying for nursing school, that becomes your focus. You're really just putting off what you really want to do, which is becoming a physician. And admissions committees may ask you, well, why did you do nursing school? Why why did you do that? Is that really what you want to do? It may make people really think, uh, well, do you actually want to be a nurse and not a doctor? Because if you do want to be a doctor, then why didn't you just do that? So I think what it sounds like to me is you're speaking from a lot of concern about not being sure of yourself and your abilities. So try to put that aside, put aside your concern. If you're somebody like Ryan, who doesn't like reading books, know that you can still become a physician if you don't like reading books. I love books. Ryan doesn't. Ryan now reads more than I do, although lately I've been reading more, but he reads more than I do uh, because he is constantly reading and on um, electronic devices. He reads on the iPad, but he also listens. He does a ton of audio listening, um, audio books. So um, I think don't be down on yourself and really ask yourself, why are you, are you even thinking about nursing school? Is that because you're, it's sort of a fallback or is that because you actually legitimately have an interest in nursing school? Yeah. Nursing school prepares you to be a nurse and being pre-med doesn't necessarily prepare you to be a doctor, but the rigors of the pre-med path are set up so that you are proving to yourself and to admissions committees that you can 
survive medical school. And so I'm not sure if nursing school will do that for admissions committees. I'm not saying nursing school is easy, but it's just, it's a different track. And so you'll get that question of, as Allison was saying, why did you study nursing school, a a pre-professional path, only to apply to medical school? So number one, I don't think that's the correct path. Obviously, you're only in 10th grade. You have lots of time to figure this out. Who cares about your IQ? It's a number. Uh, The more you go out and try to read, the more you go out and try to better your knowledge of anything and everything, the better you'll be. So don't don't use that as a crutch. Um, it is what it is. You, there's nothing you can do about uh, some random number that who knows if it's even useful at this point. So go read, go learn, and and really just believe in yourself and understand that you are the only person that will hold you back from medical school, not your IQ, not anything else. So go do it. Amen. All right. And they have a Canadian email address. So I wonder if they're Canadian. Maybe. Is it .ca? Obviously, that's what it means by saying they have a Canadian email address. Well, it could be I am from Canada .edu. I don't know. At (laughs) gmail.com. Yeah. No. No. That is not what I meant. Next song. All right. One more. From our Facebook group. If you're not in our Facebook group, we've been getting a ton of interaction there. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash group and click on join or join this group or whatever the button says. It's a closed group, but when you click join this group, I will accept you unless you have some funky picture uh, or some name that might not be very real. We, we have one member sneak in there that doesn't have a real name. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've been so impressed by the community within the group and how people are always talking to each other, helping each other out. It's really awesome. Yeah. So this person in the medical school headquarters hangout says, does a, so this is very similar uh, to our first question. Does a D plus in Gen Chem one from back in the day have to be retaken? And then they said, asking for a friend with little googly eyes. So Mm. I doubt it's for a friend. Well, even if it is or isn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter because we will answer it the same. Yeah. So I would, it's similar to that first question we we answered where, first of all, looking back, what are your other grades? What are your other chemistry grades? Um, did you show after having that grade in that class that you were still able to master the material from your other pre, um, pre-med recs? And if not, that's more of a problem than one isolated D+. Yeah, I wonder if, if this is somebody who started undergrad, did poorly, and then stopped going, withdrew, and did some other stuff and is now going back as a non-traditional student and has these kind of poor grades lingering in the background. Right. So in that case, it it may be useful to retake them just to refresh your memory for this lovely test called the MCAT that you're going to have to take, which is going to have chemistry on it, biology on it, physics on it, biochem on it, organic chemistry on it, sociology on it psychology on it (laughs) a little bit everything so uh d plus more than likely that's gonna have to be retaken so that's that that's all i have i did you see the one about uh in the hangout as well about other degrees distance learning i thought that was really interesting go ahead and read it all right i didn't know if you had any thoughts on it but i think it's a good question 
So this is from another member in the Hangout. And he says, uh, basically talks about how it's just been really very difficult. He's very busy uh, because he's trying to balance school full time and also taking care of his family. And he's seen that a lot of really well-known universities are offering bachelor's and master's degrees uh, from distance learning. So he's asking, have medical schools started becoming more accepting or welcoming of these degrees? Um or not? And would they even entertain a degree like that? What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know either. I think that's something that we should look into, though, with um, some of these admissions committee members. I mean, we've talked in the past about community, uh, not community service, community college grades and how ideally if you can. I mean, I think what it come to, comes down to is showing the rigor that is necessary. So that's where um, sometimes admissions committee members get hung up on community college grades because they don't necessarily equate it in terms of the amount of rigor that it would take um, as a four-degree program, a four-degree college. Although some may argue that it's more rigorous taking a, a course, quote-unquote correspondence course. Well, I was just talking about community college. But yeah. yeah, but then if you're thinking about correspondence, right. So maybe that, I mean, that requires more of an independent learner i think somebody who's willing to to really uh teach themselves uh and so yeah i think that here's my advice to you go to the medical schools not necessarily go but contact the medical schools where you're interested there's there's a resource for this yeah what's the resource the msr MSR? and the college information book Mm -hmm. so specifically i'm i'm looking at the msr right now and they have a section, and, and if the school has updated the AAMC on this to have in the MSAR, they have all of the required slash recommended pre-med coursework listed here. And whether or not it's recommended, if a lab is required, how many hours are required, if AP credit is required, if an online degree or online course is accepted, and if community college credit is accepted. So there's there's no guessing here. Go purchase the MSAR, access to the MSAR. Go get the college information book for osteopathic schools, and those will answer your questions. But if for some reason you don't see it, it's always acceptable reach to reach out to a medical school. And don't be afraid because it's actually, they're more than happy to talk to you if you're not in the application cycle and not actually a current applicant. It's a little bit more stringent when you are. When you're not an applicant, you, they're happy to talk to you and, and you can go and just say, look, I, I'm in this situation. I need to know if you would accept a correspondence degree such as X, Y, or Z and see what they say. You got it. Good question. Yes. All right. So those are our questions. If you have any questions yourself, you can email them to Allison or myself. I'm Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Allison is Allison at medicalschoolhq.net. I would prefer you jump onto Twitter, go get yourself a Twitter account if you don't have one, and use the hashtag AskMSHQ, and we'll pull those questions into specific uh, podcast episodes for a different podcast that we, we have in the works, but we're lacking on questions from you guys. So if you have questions, ask. There's plenty of questions, I know, because I have an inbox full of them in my email. So... Awesome questions. Keep them coming. If you have any comments on any of the things we talked about today, go to the special show notes page specifically specifically for this episode at medicalschoolhq.net slash 129. And as always, Allison and I are greatly appreciative when we get 
ratings and reviews from you, the listener. They help us tremendously in Apple's eyes, and Apple is the go-to king for podcasts. And so if we rank high in iTunes, that means more pre-med students get to find us, which is awesome. And we do have uh, some new ratings and reviews to read. We have one from Sammy Kodama. Cordana. Is that an R-A? No, it's an M. Kodama. I've never written a review for a podcast, but I felt compelled to for this one, which is awesome. I discovered the medical school headquarters during the most difficult part of my journey thus far, the application year. It has helped me enormously. Even after being accepted, I still enjoy learning about what's coming up next in the medical school and residency. That's awesome. Both Very Dr. Awesome. Gray's are witty, informative, and, and a delight. That was awesome, too. You like to be called witty. I've never been called witty. I was really flattered. I'm really touched. Maybe he said I was witty and <sighs> you and we both were informative and a delight. Uh, I have some other choice words for you. All right. Anyway. <laughs> I hope you appreciate our witty banter. <laughs> we have one from Supermed001 that says, extremely helpful. I was immediately addicted to the podcast. My background set me up with little guidance, which is very familiar. This is a glimmer of hope for me. Amazing source of help. Awesome. Thank you for that review. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. You don't know. We're still like tickled silly every time we see a new review and a new rating. I love the title of this one that came in today, actually. It says, Caution, Destiny Propeller. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if I saw that one. What is that one? From Le- Levite Heels 99, L-E-V-I-T-E, Levit, Levite, says there's not enough space to begin to describe how helpful these podcasts have been. I never even listened to one and didn't even know there were things like this on iTunes. There aren't anything else like this in iTunes. We're the only awesome pre-med podcast. So. I like it. There are other great podcasts, but none like this. I was so glad to have found this on Facebook. That's interesting. So they found us on Facebook first, mm-hmm. and it led me right to here. As a non-traditional student, you often tell yourself several times, what are you doing? And if you say it too often, you may just give up. This podcast was a lifesaver as I was drowning in MCAT studies. I am so very encouraged by the company of non-traditional students like myself. Yes, in capitals, we too get into med school, and I think we make some of the best doctors out there. The non-traditional path is a humbling path. That's awesome, man. Awesome. Awesome review. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. Go take 20 seconds, leave us a rating interview, and we will read it here on the podcast. Any parting words of wisdom, Allison? For those of you who have emailed and have not had your questions answered, please hang in there. I and Ryan, we both are working on them. Hard at work, hard at work. And thank you. And it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Ryan. And thank you for uh, joining me. Absolutely. And good luck uh, to all of you, whatever step of your journey you are on. All right. So that is it for this week. As always, I hope you got a ton of great information today. And I hope you join us next week here at the Medical School Headquarters. (laughs) 